Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. We are now in our fourth year and happy to make new episodes for our 22,000 plus listeners. A few quick announcements. If you would like to recommend someone to be interviewed, you can go to our website at aroundthecoin.com and fill out a form. Also, if you want to give some feedback, suggestions, or ask a question, same thing. Please go to our website, fill out the contact form, and we will be sure to take a look at your submissions. We will be at the Money 2020 Europe that is happening in Amsterdam from the 3rd of June to the 5th of June. If you're around, come and say hello. We'd love to meet up. Okay, and let's start our show, continuing with our AML CFT compliance series. I'm your host, Faisal Khan. My name is Dr. Mara Whistling. Doctor, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Doing good, doing good. So we've been doing this series of shows that we just started on compliance, AML, you know, CFT, and everything else, all the three-letter acronyms that you can think of. This is our second show. It is uh, going to be on FATF. FATF stands for Financial Action Task Force. It is an organization based in Paris, in France. And, you know, the title of today's show is Creating Gold Standards and Paper Realities. So, doctor, why don't you tell us what FATF is and why do I need to know about it? Yes, I, I will. Um, but first of all, I wanted to um, share maybe that we had some feedback after the first show and uh, we are very grateful for the feedback and we have some acronym lovers as well. So they will be served again with the FATF show today. Maybe can I ask you what what, what do you think of when you think of FATF? So, you know, FATF is something I had no idea about. I heard the term first time maybe about five years ago, the Financial Action Task Force in Paris or something. Uh, I had no idea it was there for almost about 30 years now. And, you know, what its, what its mission was, just, just have had no clue. I was very oblivious about it. Being in the payment space, I was very oblivious, oblivious about it. But it was only in the last maybe... I guess two or three years that FATF has shown up on my radar and perhaps on the radar of everyone else. And it seems like there is this organization that, you know, is basically setting the guidelines worldwide on the best practices of what AML, CFT, PF, etc., etc. should be like. And all the member countries uh, have to adhere to these guidelines. And if you do, you know, you get to play with in the World Financial Stadium. If you don't, you are, you know, excluded from it. So that is what I know about FATF. 
what i feel about it is i don't know i feel very have very mixed emotions about it but but i guess they stem from the fact that i don't know much about this organization i have tried to learn up and read up and even seen some of their very long uh, you know youtube uh, sorry sessions that they have put up etc and i'm still learning but i the feelings are mixed because i feel it is um more or less like a bullying club if i may you know and and i and i say that in in the sense that i am very oblivious to what their mission is i am trying to learn as much as as i can so yes it sounds like a very reckless statement and perhaps it is but i feel that there's a lot of bullying in this club it's the big boys you know telling the developed countries how they can work and how they should work or they will be excommunicated from the world's financial stage well i think you you gave a great summary of what fatuf is what it does and um yeah i think the bullying part uh, is not um a, a completely wrong impression um maybe First of all, you said I was oblivious that it exists. And I think that's the case for many people. Even when we think of international organizations, uh, people that study international organizations, they, they very often don't know about FATF. Then you said people in the payments industry, they don't necessarily know about FATF. So we have people that cringe upon hearing the the acronym FATF, we have specialists that just don't care really about FATF. And uh, we have still quite a few people that never heard about FATF. So this is the case for uh, compliance officers, for regulated um, entities, but also, for instance, national supervisors. I've been talking to some of those and they are not very, they know about FATF, of course, but they say we we are supervising and we are checking against the national legal framework so they're not that concerned and then on the other hand you have people well researchers like myself um that look um at international uh, questions and then fatuf pops up all the time and you get more and more intrigued because it's an international organization but it's really a standard setting organization um The recommendations are officially non-binding. There's no legal tool if 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 countries don't comply, but the punishment of non-compliance is so big that that almost no country want to risk non-compliance. So in that case, you refer to bullying. I think, yeah, well, it's a club and they decided on rules, international rules for um, the integrity of the international financial system. And if you don't adhere to them, it's a very costly decision. So maybe you want to start off with by telling how this organization came into being. You know, what was what was the genesis moment that made it so? The genesis moment, and we talked a little bit it about it uh, the last show was in the late 80s in the context of the fight against um, drug money money laundering so in 1989 the fatuf was established and it f- flew from um, a g7 initiative but it quickly became broader and broader and now 30 years later we have um, i think it's 36 member countries we have member organizations we have quite a big organization that is established and has associate members as well so it's 
basically functioning, functioning, sorry, functioning <laughs> worldwide. Um, also through uh, fat of style regional bodies. Um, so the 80s was really the starting point, and over time, more and more members joined, and also more and more missions were integrated to what FATF does. So from money laundering, it expanded into a broader fight against uh, cr crime, organized crime, and then in the early 2000s, after 9-11, um, terrorism financing was included, and later on in 2012, the fight against proliferation was also included. So that's a very short short history. So why do I need to know about it? Why is it that, you know, suddenly FATF is so important in our lives? It seems it has reached critical mass in many ways. So why do I need to know about it? Maybe you can shed some light on that. Well, from a country perspective, what we just said, it's very costly um, to be non-compliant. You will be blacklisted if you really decide that you don't care about FATF recommendations and it will lead to exclusion from the formal financial system. So two countries are currently blacklisted, North Korea and Iran. And it's a very costly choice because you cannot participate in the global economy. So, yes, for non-compliance non is very costly and most countries make a lot of effort not to be on the non-cooperative territories and countries list. Then from a company perspective or from an individual perspective for compliance officers dealing with AML on a daily basis, it's important, even if it seems like a faraway thing, it's important to know about what FATF does because it will translate into national law and it's the place where international policy is made. And um, if you want to understand what is going on in your field, what direction policy will go, um, or also if you want to find resources or information that might be relevant to your sector or your job, it's useful to look at what FATF does and its publications are quite useful as well. Okay, so let's come to the second part. Is FATF relevant for fintech or regtech? You know, because right now all the companies that are in the fintech space are obviously using financial, you know, are, are offering some form of a financial services, whether that involves money or not. And same thing with regtech and they're using technology. How important is FATF with respect to fintech and regtech? Well, it, it will be increasingly important FATF set up a so-called fintech and regtech initiative in 2016. Maybe that's also why you started hearing more and more about FATF uh, two, three years ago, um, because it uh, started this initiative to make sure that new financial innovations are in line with the AML CFT framework. And in this context, it's also organizing a private sector consultative forum, also um, the past three years, and it discusses topics that are relevant to fintech um, companies. And um, so, so, for instance, uh, customer identification or the um, use of digital ideas, how can fintech companies um, make sure that they put in practice the, the FATF recommendations of 
um, due diligence um, well, well, doing what they do. So it will be increasingly important. And um, there are several initiatives going on also specifically um, regarding crypto. There has been a recent uh, publication on that, I think, last month. So I think it's, yeah, the relevance is growing. Well, regarding crypto, as I told you, I think, you know, the United States current, currently chairs the fat of presidency and the U.S. has made it a point that before they leave that chair, which expires in about maybe two months or so, that the crypto regulations will be out for the crypto guidelines for all member countries and the countries that are part of the financial system. So they will have to follow it. So whether we like it or not, crypto will now come under the umbrella of FATF, and which basically means worldwide, you know, it, this is going to be regulated. But, you know, there's another important thing that, you know, I was at the sidelines of many conferences where, you know, the the, the concept, the whole argument about de-risking and, you know, access to banking is talked about. And when we brought up an, or when the topic of FATF came in, those on the developing countries felt that they were not being treated with the same respect or stature, that the FATF guidelines essentially come in and sort of, uh, you know, uh, how do you say it? Messing with the internal of banking affairs of each country and telling them how to run their own financial systems, and not just run the financial systems. What sort of incentives or innovative products they can and cannot have within and within the each economy? And if the, and the FATF doesn't like it, so you know, a country could be running a certain thing, and the FATF says, "Well, you know what? This can be used for money laundering. We don't like it, and hence we are going to you know gray list you or blacklist you." And they felt that that was very unnecessary to do. What are your thoughts on something like this? Because you obviously have more insight to this than I have. I don't know. We we maybe have different insights. My view of it is that, well, the FATF is very powerful. It's very little known, and it is, but it is very powerful. And indeed, it it makes recommendations on combating money laundering, terrorism financing, and so on. And you will have to adapt to it. So if your um, banking system does something that is not within the framework of FATF, uh, you will have a problem. It goes actually even farther. If I can give another another example, FATF is, so uh, it drafts recommendations and FATF, it is the member states in the end. It's not some, some anonymous group of people. It's uh, negotiators of member states that together draft recommendations. But uh, it also evaluates how how well countries are responding and uh, implementing these and part of that um, so there is technical compliance with which is okay does a is terrorism finance uh, criminalized or very technical matters that you can check with a tick the box uh, approach and then since 2012 there is a assessment of effectiveness as well because there has been quite a lot of critique on FATF and the way FATF operates. It, uh, it has been said, one, one scholar has said that FATF can be completely effective in um, establishing ineffective rules. So there has been quite uh, some critique and now they try to measure effectiveness in an, uh, a, a more in an evaluation uh, assessment way, 
And one of the criteria is are there enough uh, prosecutions for money laundering and terrorism financing in each country? And uh, if they decide they're not enough, then uh, you get a bad a bad score on this. So it's not only influencing the the financial system and the banking, the shape of the banking system in a country, but even um, the judiciary. So it is really a powerful organization with a lot of um, a, a lot of impact. So what are some of the news coming out of FATF? I mean, you, you know, we, we talk about FATF and terrorism declarations and UN resolutions, etc. Maybe shed some light on that. Um, well, there is quite a, a range of uh, news. The, um, uh, we have had some evaluations recently. I think Norway was one of the countries that was assessed. Um, we have some critique as well on uh, what I just mentioned, the effectiveness uh, approach. So on one hand, it is a um, it is a step forward because um, for a long time, FATF was only looking at technical compliance and this uh, tick the box uh, approach. And so there is a step forward that it now really tries to see, okay, does it make sense? And um, is a country perhaps doing not so much on a specific issue? Because in this country, this issue is not a big problem or really take into account the, the context. So I think some of the complaints that you um, just mentioned, countries complaining um, that they do things and that are those are not recognized by FATF, I think it tries to respond to, to those complaints and to have, on one hand, it's a one-size-fits-all um, evaluation. Uh, and on the other hand, it tries to also um, take into account context, uh, context that is not the same for every country. So there is progress, but there is still a lot of um, things that could be improved. For instance, um, the consistency between evaluations is not necessarily the same. We've had reporting as well in the in the Financial Times a few weeks ago, I think it was February, um, about political influence in the UK um, evaluation report. So it was said that some of the conclusions were a bit watered down to have a nicer view on how the UK is dealing with the FATF recommendations. So those were some of the, the latest things. Yeah, I, I know that UAE had almost the same effect because United Arab Emirates was placed on the gray list and then, or, you know, was chided for money laundering and then suddenly after two weeks the name was taken off. So definitely some political influence over there, right? Yes, yeah, no, definitely. And that's something, uh, well, of course, we can imagine those things going on, but they should not be uh, going on. And there as well, you can wonder, okay, which countries have enough power to um, negotiate the, the the final results and which countries maybe do not have that power. So the statement you made in the beginning about um, maybe different rules for different countries and some countries bullying bullying others around, There, there is some truth into that. I mean, it was very interesting to see that UAE was on the list and taken off, but Saudi Arabia still remains on the list, you know, despite their political pressure and the connections that they have with Washington and so forth. Yes, it is interesting. 
so uh, let me ask you uh, some country evaluations you talked about norway and you know problematic aspects of it what about what's happening recently in estonia or or you know uh, denmark how will that play out when the further evaluations you know i, I believe they have uh, fatf style regional bodies that will go and do evaluations every now and then how will such large amounts of money laundering basically affect the country evaluations of these two countries i mentioned Well that's a very good question. Um I actually uh, don't know for sure the answer to that. Um what the um, the evaluation team so this is a process it takes about 16 months uh, to complete. So uh, a country has to prepare and 16, even before 16, 16 months, months for evaluation. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So it's a really long process and um um for instance well i can talk about the netherlands is will be um going into the evaluation process in 2020 or maybe it has been p- postponed to 2021 but the government is already pre um preparing for for the assessment because it's so important uh, countries do want to get uh, good grades and um a good um good evaluation result so it's really important that they start start ahead and um they try to have everything ready and as present themselves in the best way possible and then we have the evaluation that takes 60 months in total we have um the well it's a lot of paperwork um, countries have to um show for each of the recommendations um how they do it give examples but it even goes as far as the um, evaluating team which is people from different member countries they are assembled into an evaluation team and they even contact other countries to check if this is true if for instance if a country says we cooperate a lot uh, with other countries they will check with other countries if there is information exchange on uh, money laundering cases or on combating terrorism financing cases so th- there is a paper part and there is an on-site part as well and then there is some time as well for drafting the report so altogether it takes 16 months so let's say if something started you know in january of 2019 and 16 months later and in between if new rules came how do how how are they affected are they grandfathered in or what what's the procedure because it seems if you are anything for 16 months that may come out of fatf would have to be put on pause until the next assessment right Well yes um well the recommendations they do change but not that often so there has been the last big uh, re- reshuffling of uh, rules was in 2012 which meant that before that um there were recommendations against money laundering 40 recommendations and we had nine special recommendations on ter- terrorism financing and in 2012 they reshuffled that and put them together in a new set of 40 but uh, both topics together so in the meantime there are changes in interpretation or clarifications of s- specific uh, recommendations but it does not change all the time but with this big change in 2012 also the the new assessment strategy that also includes effectiveness um evaluation was adopted so yeah then countries go into a new round and it, it all it it goes 
takes quite some time. It's uh, quite a slow bureaucratic uh, process. So let's so let's talk about that the bureau the bureaucracy of it all. You know, others critique that we can have on you know on FATF we can have paper realities. It can be perfectly effective in in enforcing an ineffective framework mm-hmm. and other arguments. I mean, what are your thoughts on something like on on this? That is it a paper tiger? It's not in in the sense that there are real consequences if you or, or don't maybe is it not a paper tiger any longer? You know, um, I think there is improvement in not only looking at okay, is there a law, but also is the law really implemented, and do we have examples? So there is more effectiveness. I think this change in methodology really um, did improve how FATF operates, but it gave rise to new new problems. Um, so one issue is the um, there are two issues. Well, there is this issue of effectiveness, and you can wonder, okay, how representative is the indicator that is used to measure effectiveness? For instance, some countries like Sweden or well, I mean many countries, they can have an innovative policy and you wonder, is this also taken into account by FATF or is the framework or the assessment the assessment method too rigid to really be open enough to, to take into account different approaches? Um, so this is one thing. And then the other issue was bureaucracy and things going very slow. And my, my view of that is that you wonder, is the method to establish what is a threat is the uh, agility to respond to new threats is it quick enough is it flexible enough or uh, are we still i mean there was um last that's another news that came out i think it was the 8th of april so a statement made by the um, president of fatf in at the united nations and it says that Terrorism financing is one of the priorities of FATF, and this is also a big change, but it's maybe a different story. But focusing on groups such as ISIL and Al-Qaeda, which, of course, is are important uh, terrorist threats, but you would say after um, New Zealand and many other occasions that the right-wing threat is also rising, and it did not really come back in the statements of FATF. So you wonder... Are they quick enough to really integrate new typologies and new threats? Very interesting. The member states, there's always um, a argument you hear that the member states, which are, you know, let's say, I don't know, the G10 countries or what have you, the G7 countries, are out to essentially shut down the correspondent banking and offshore banking for all the tax havens that, you know, the Caribbean and many other uh, island nations have. And what they have is now the FATF, the FATF tool that, you know, going forward, let's say the next 10 years or the next 15 years, they will be able to implement policies that will essentially strip these island nations of the commoditized, you know, offshore banking and the tax haven status that they used to have. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's a very interesting topic, I think. You you recommended me to watch uh, this, this YouTube movie on the Second Empire, 
which is a fascinating uh, movie, yeah, it's, and it's, I think so it summarizes. So that for, for, for the listeners, it's called The Spider's Web. It's a YouTube documentary made with $4,000. It is worth watching, and it basically gives you an understanding on you know the London city of London and how the offshore banking came into being in the Caribbean and how it started. Yes, exactly. And I think one of the, the key arguments made in this movie was that there is this contradiction between um, politicians advocating and um, highlighting the importance of international regulations and measures like like promoted by FATF and the AML International Standards on AML CFT, um, the international standards on uh, tax uh, tax evasion and the fight against that, and at the same time, a reluctance to really make an end to to these practices. So I think that's one of the main main arguments in the movie. And um, yeah, I guess it is um, a truth that we are uh, we have to deal with. So thinking about what FATF is doing, it's obviously all the governments of all these member countries, you know, uh, working in together to make these rules and implement them. And I suppose that these rules are taken back to their home countries via their central banks and then enforced down. How much does FATF have to say with respect to the laws that need to be changed in many countries? Because, you know, it's one thing making uh, rule guidelines and then saying, you know, they're not binding, but you, we all know that, you know, essentially they, are, they will be binding if we want to stay into the financial system. How, how long or how much work is required by countries to change their banking laws or other laws in order to, you know, fall in compliance with these guidelines? Well, I would say quite substantial. They really, if, a country is evaluated by a, a FATF um, um, evaluation team. They really go into the nitty-gritty aspects of the law and um, the definition of the words in the law and the, the organization is really, I mean, 16 months, it's a long time, but it's also because they uh, really go into detail and they want proof, um, they want evidence of how things are done. They want to exactly understand what the law says, what the requirements are, how things are organized. They go they, they go quite far as well in their um, review and their recommendations. For instance, I believe it was Belgium. They thought the, the IT system of the Belgian financial intelligence unit was not modern enough so they make a recommendation that this should be updated um for some countries they they consider that there is not enough um staff working on on aml related uh, topics so it's really quite quite detailed and a lot of effort uh, is needed well depending on the the where you start from but um i would say that um it requires quite a lot of effort for for countries to remedi- to mediate any any things that are not in line with what fatf would like to see 
So last question for you, and that comes from the education part of you or the career part of you. So if you're in the compliance industry, etc., how does one get involved with understanding FATF or how would FATF come into my radar if I were in the compliance arena? What do I need to do to study the guidelines, to get more knowledge about it, to be more involved, maybe even uh, participate? Uh, how does that work out? Maybe some, maybe some uh, pointers you can give? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, well, there is a lot on the FATF uh, website. All the recommendations are there. The country evaluations are online as well. The best practices and uh, lessons learned. Um, we can find really a lot of things on FATF. Then if you want to have a more critical view of it, there is quite, well, not a lot, but there are some academic articles as well. There is this article and I can we, we we can maybe put it on the around the coin website uh, a link to some of the articles um, that are more critical of FATF. I myself did also write a report with a chapter on FATF, what it does, but also what is still a, a fundamental problem or methodological problem with FATF. Um, so those there is a lot online, and um, I think. That's maybe the best way to start reading up about FATF. Anything else you want to highlight? Uh, you know, we have, I mean, we did touch briefly on reports of political influence, uh, but I think we will not go too much into that. But, you know, it is an organization that I think is here to stay uh, and will very much be part of our lives in the banking and payment system, whether we like it or not. Uh, but any concluding remarks from you, Dr. Mara? Um, it's definitely going to stay, I would say. There is no sign of it declining. It is, well, the evidence of the past 30 years is that there are more and more members, uh, less and less countries blacklisted or graylisted. We haven't talked about the graylist. And it is um, taking charge of more and more uh, topics as well. So I, I, I'm... Uh, well, I believe we will have to deal with it. And for, for some part is really, I would say, a positive thing. The um, aim of the organization is to have a level playing field to um, enhance the integrity of the financial sector, to make sure, well, that criminal practices are limited, though it's a very difficult task to do. Um, we will have to deal with it. And we will still have plenty of critique and things that we will not like about it as well for the coming years, I guess. Well, Dr. Mara, thank you for that illuminating session. Next week, we will be talking about theaters of compliance, understanding the actors of the compliance industry. That would be hopefully next week. If you have any feedback or suggestions or you would you or, you know, maybe you think that we should look at someone who should be interviewed, you can always go to our website, www.aroundthecoin.com. At the very top, there is a contact or a link. You can fill out a form and we'd be happy to address the thing. Dr. Mara, thank you very much for your time. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. 
The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.